Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. We are back from New Jersey, a snowy and rainy New Jersey. Yeah, how and about that? fresh off a 31-13 victory for the Packers over the Giants. One of those December football games that was fun to watch. I'm sure it was a little bit fun to play in, but also somewhat difficult to play in. It was a uh, challenging weather day in East Rutherford. So this was really interesting afterwards. Uh, Tremont Williams was talking with the media, and he mentioned for him, you know, 36 years old, however long he's played in this league now, he'd never been a part of a game quite like that in terms of you and I were doing the periscope before the game. It started like hailing on us. Yeah. It was rain to hail, back to rain to snow, and then it ended in rain as we were leaving the stadium. Oh, it, it was, was like pouring. a downpour. Yeah, it was pouring in Jersey that, as, we, uh, as we were getting on the buses to go to the airport. But it was also, uh, you know, it's a unique playing surface though too, right? Because it's a turf field and it's an outdoor turf field. So unlike Lambeau Field, if there's snow that falls, it just stays there. They yeah. have to shovel it off. And, it, I mean, I actually got to be thankful that they didn't get more snow because then they would have really had problems. Um, but, yeah, take that all away. Uh, a very fun game to watch in terms of adding an additional element to it yeah. to, to kind of ramp up some of the the excitement. <laughs> well, it wasn't the prettiest victory by any means for the Packers, and it was tight for a while. It was 17-13 to 13, late into the third quarter. But the Packers got the drive that they needed, and uh, as I wrote about in my postgame editorial on the plane coming back, it was a little bit of Aaron Rodgers' magic that the Packers needed to get that touchdown drive. 17-13, to 13, you need a 4th and 10 conversion to Geronimo Allison with Marcus Golden bearing down yeah. on Aaron Rodgers. He gets the pass away for the completion and the first down. And then a 1st and goal at the 1 turns into third and goal from the 17 after a couple tackles for loss and a penalty in there. And Aaron Rodgers catches the Giants with 12 men on the field, catches him in a substitution, gets the free play. Devontae Adams is open in the end zone. Touchdown. And uh, the Packers are back up by two scores, and they were in control the rest of the way. So this is what, you know, sometimes we'll sit here and we'll talk about an incredible throw Aaron Rodgers made. You think of the Aaron Jones one earlier this season. You think of Jake Kumaro along the sideline. You think of all these different moments that he's had. The reason that Geronimo Allison play stands out to me, though, it's not like he made the world's greatest throw. Right. But his vision and his ability to see Allison come open in the middle of the field, a critical fourth and ten situation. The Packers, they actually were pretty good on third downs, and it was because, you know, in some cases they did have favorable down and distance. In other cases, Aaron Rodgers just made it work. Yep. Uh, the I think one of the uh, Devontae catches was in that. They converted on a couple defensive pass interference penalties. But with the running game kind of being held in check against the Giants, and the Giants, if you've watched the way those inside linebackers were playing, they were selling out to stop the run, especially up the middle. Yeah, that defensive front – came as advertised against the run. They yeah. shut down the run, but they didn't get a whole lot of pressure on Rodgers, and Rodgers was very well protected. The offensive line had a really good day in pass protection, but they did struggle to uh, generate some things up front in the running game. So if you don't, if the running game isn't consistently moving the pylon, isn't consistently moving the sticks for you, you have to be able to throw the ball. And although it was not advantageous conditions for that, Rodgers made it work. Alan Lazard comes out 43-yard catch right off the beginning of the game. And Lazard had two of those catches in this game, Mike, both in the first quarter. 
the the ones where I say I always I call those the you versus you catches, <laughs> where they're he's completely wide open. It's like the the Randall Cobb catch against the Bears back in thirteen. Yeah, round. yeah. Nobody's defending you. There is no threat of imminent danger from a safety. You just have to make the play. And Lazard did that on the forty three yarder. He also did it on the thirty seven yard touchdown. Ends up resulting in his first hundred yard game. I am so thankful. If there was anything that I was so pleased about with this game, Devontae Adams had two touchdowns, so we can throw out this terrible narrative about, oh, he doesn't have any touchdowns at all. Okay. Yeah. Devontae he's Adams got three has, now. He has 30-some in his career now at this point. I mean, he's going to score touchdowns. You can yeah. just fill your columns the way you need to fill them, but the, the time's going to end there that, that, that that's going to go away. Adams played well. Allison made – it was just those two catches, but they were incredibly important. The, the one on fourth and ten, the one on yeah. third and five. The receivers stepped up, and then certainly, as Rogers said after the game, a meaningful touchdown, a special touchdown, being able to get his first connection with, with uh, Mercedes Lewis in the end zone, his 38th different receiver now to catch a touchdown from Rogers. Yeah. They lifted him when they needed to be lifted. Yeah, I mean, the reason I keep going back to that drive that spanned the end of the third, beginning of the fourth quarter is – you know, if you don't convert the fourth and ten to Allison, the Giants are getting the ball back at seventeen thirteen. If you don't get the touchdown on third and goal from the seventeen and you tack on three, it's still a one score game. It's right. twenty to thirteen and the Giants are getting the ball back only down by seven. That drive that drive was so critical. And then after that, the Packers came back defensively on the next two possessions back-to-back. They get interceptions of rookie quarterback Daniel Jones, the second and third picks of the game. Kevin King had one in the first half. Then Darnell Savage and Tremont Williams get theirs in the second half. And I had talked about this last week, Wes, and I don't remember if it was on this show or on Final Thoughts or which one of our video productions it was. <laughs> But now we're up to four times this season that the Packers' defense has not generated a turnover in a game. San Francisco was the fourth time that it happened. And now all four times, the next game when the Packers have not had a turnover, they've had multiple takeaways defensively. This defense has its issues. Again, they gave up a few too many big plays, especially to a rookie quarterback, in my opinion. They did hold Saquon Barkley pretty well in check, given those conditions. But this defense, it's it's they're they're a takeaway defense, Wes. I think yeah. I think you know they are what they are at this point. And when they can make those kinds of plays, when they can force a bad throw from a quarterback with pressure, Packers didn't get any sacks, but the pressure led to at least a couple of those three interceptions for sure. When they can make plays like that, the Packers become a complementary team. The, yeah. You know, the defense does its part, the offense does its part. When the defense doesn't make those plays because they're going to give up plays they've shown the pattern now for a long time. They're going to give up plays and, and some things like that are going to happen. But if they don't make those plays going the other way, then it just all sort of falls on Aaron Rodgers and then the Packers are in trouble. Right, and there's a couple key points to this. The first one is there, there have been times in recent weeks where the Packers could stop drives with an interception. They haven't been able to catch those balls, uh, where they were inches away from making a play. Kyler Fackrell had an opportunity at a strip sack late in that ball game. Yeah, God, that, that was close. would take like 90 total yards off of the Giants' total if he's able to make right. it. But be that as it may. Missed it by an eyelash. Kevin King and Darnell Savage had, again, give me interceptions, where the ball is thrown directly to you. The pressure was in 
Daniel Jones's face, it forces the rookie quarterback into making a mistake, and they made him. Tremont Williams, I tweeted this during the game, that interception he made, that is as close to those defensive back pass-catching drills that they run during training camp. Yeah, you're right. Where you you're have right. the two defensive backs going against each other, and the guy just has to go up and high point the ball down the sideline. Tremont Williams did that to exactly the point that he should have. Yeah. The remark was made afterwards about his leaping ability and his vertical. All of that is still relatively intact for a veteran defensive back, but Tremont Williams absolutely high-pointed it where he needed to be to get that ball. The three takeaways, as you said, that is the bread and butter of Green Bay. You and I, one of our big emphasis going into this game was being able to take the ball away against an offense that has given it away as much as they have this yeah, season. A rookie quarterback who's had trouble protecting the ball. That's been but, Daniel Jones's biggest right. problem as a rookie Yeah, this and he year. fumbled again the 15th one after the aborted play. And here's the deal, Mike. You can flash it back if Marvin wants to bring it up. By all means, go ahead. <laughs> From final thoughts, when we talked about this on Friday. The Packers need to stop Saquon Barkley. They mostly did. He did not have an explosive gain on the on the ground. He only averaged four point four carry. You'll take that against Saquon yeah, Barkley, especially on a day on a day like that. And if you're going to give up yards, okay, be that as it may. But that makes the common denominator in all this takeaways. Mm-hmm. And Aaron Rodgers is not going to give the ball away. The Packers protected the football in those elements, and the Giants had three of them. And if you look at the final score and the way that the passer ratings worked out, that was the difference. Yeah, that was the difference in the game. I don't want to forget here, Wes, so a little we bit can't. of sponsor business. Select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering, catering, or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. Okay, I want to go back to Alan Lazard for a yeah. second because you had mentioned it, his first 100-yard game of his career. He did it on three catches, 43 yards, 37, 37 yards, and what was it, 23? 23. 23, if my sports math Three explosive is plays. Correct. Yeah, three explosive plays. He gets his first career 100-yard game. Turns out, I guess, I was a week early on Alan Lazard because coming out of the bye week, if you recall, I wrote about him on the website. I talked about him on this show. I talked about him on Final Thoughts. I called him my player to watch. I really felt heading into the bye week that Alan Lazard was showing that he he is evolving into the number two receiver in this offense. And yesterday against the Giants, it didn't happen for him in San Francisco. I was a week early in all of my hype for him. But he came up with his second really, really big performance of yeah. the season. Um, and uh, against the Giants, he was the guy, really, that uh, that got the Packers going early. And uh, I have to believe, after a performance like that, that he the, the snaps, the opportunities, he really is going to emerge, I think, as, as the number two option behind Devontae Adams as far as the wide receivers are concerned. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to look quickly to see. Yeah, he played 37 of the 67 snaps, 42 for uh, Geronimo Allison, and obviously Devontae leading that group with 52. So yeah, he's playing more and more, and you want to see that just because of what he offers and what he brings to the table. The thing that I continue to be completely awestruck by is that this guy went undrafted. I mean, oh, Iowa State is not the Iowa State of 10 years ago. Right. Now, mind you, he did go through some losing years, but he was a part of the uptick over there. Yeah. And, you know, there were so many people that got fixated on his speed. And, and as I mentioned to you last week, even in San Francisco on the end around, he had the second fastest uh, next-gen speed that was timed. Uh, now, he's made a series of changes with his diet. I think that's enabled him to be able to pull that out of himself. But six foot five, this is a prototype receiver yeah. in terms of what you want to have and what he offers to an offense. And Aaron Rodgers picked up on that really early in camp. 
when we were, all the discussion was still on the, the three rookies from last year and, and Kumaro and everybody else, and, and rightfully so, they all had their moments. Alan Lazard was the most consistent throughout mm-hmm. that entire summer, and it enabled him to. I mean, you got to remember this guy was cut on final cuts, but he came right back, much like Geronimo Allison did in '16, and has just been, uh, you know, uh, a godsend for this offense and in, in what he's been asked to do. So, I, I just the thing that stands out to me from the very beginning with him is, and Rogers spoke on this two weeks ago. There isn't a deer in the headlights thing with him. He doesn't care that he was undrafted. He doesn't care that he spent last year on a practice squad. He doesn't care that he started this year on a practice squad. He just wants to play football. And if you put him in that predicament, if he gets himself open downfield, he's not going to drop the ball. He is going to be up for it. And the amount of big plays that he's made this year, averaging 15 yards a catch right now, yeah. Alan Lazard's a problem, man. And offenses are going to have to start scheming for him because it isn't just Devontae Adams. And Adams said he said this to guys in the huddle. you know. And I wrote about this in the game notes. So many years it was Jordy Nelson, Cobb, and then Adams or, and or James Jones. Pick your, your poison there. Sure. The last year, it's showing that this play, when this offense is at its maximum, there are multiple guys that you have to account for because any of them can step up at a given time. Now, are you going to put any of them right now in the category of Nelson and Cobb? No. But when you have that many different guys that offer that many different skills, it is what enables you in any given week for it to be Alan Lazard's day. You picked last week. The main reason you picked last week is because you can't just dictate and predict that he's going to play 60 snaps and have 10 targets. Right. This was Alan Lazard's game. It was his chance to make an impact early. He did. The Packers got the fast start they needed. They got a three and out on defense. And while it was tight there for a time, the momentum in this entire contest was in Green Bay's favor. Yeah. Well, Aaron Rodgers ends up with four touchdown passes. You do that, you put up a 125 passer rating in those kind of conditions. That that That's a heck of a day. The fourth yeah. touchdown pass goes to Mercedes Lewis, the well, big dog at tight end. He gets his first touchdown as a member of the Packers. Aaron Rodgers gets to add another player to his list of uh, guys on the receiving end of his touchdown passes. And it sounds like uh, Rodgers might have to come up with another nickname for him, at least at the line of scrimmage, because he he called his shot, apparently. Um, The TV mic's picking up the big dog, big dog call right before the one-yard touchdown pass to Mercedes Lewis. Um, A fun one. Rodgers enjoyed it, celebrating it. A heck of a play by Rodgers to actually get that throw off and make it accurately with, uh, with that pass rusher draped on his shoulder at the time. But it becomes the uh, the one that caps the scoring for Green Bay, puts them up by three scores, and uh, put this one to bed. You know what's great about that play, uh, and really this entire season for Mercedes Lewis, and this speaks a lot to Lewis and his character. Mercedes Lewis, 13 years ago, was a first-round pick, and he was a Pro Bowler in 2010. He's been to the highs, and for guys, it's not always easy in years 11, 12, and 13, you see a lot of guys just retire because they don't want to accept a secondary role. And he was close to retiring And as he well. was close. Yeah. But it wasn't because of a lack of production. It was just a question in his mind like, hey, do I still want to do this? Yeah. And he did because of the idea of team and the fact that he enjoyed the relationship he has with Jimmy Graham and Rodgers in this offense. For Lewis to be willing to accept the role that he's been in the last two years. And you heard Rodgers talk about it, Alan Lazard. I was asking him about it after the game. It is incredible to see the selflessness that's involved with that because he knows he's mostly there for blocking. He knows he's mostly there for tight packages. And then there's the 
external threat this year that he can still catch the ball. They've used that more, and I think that's helped make him a little less predictable when he's on the field. The best part about looking back at that play was just how adamant Rodgers was. And you can talk about the words, and you're right, big dog, big dog, big dog. That's a giveaway. But once that ball was, was, was you know snapped, does that not remind you of like the kid in school that's like, I got to get the ball to my buddy over yeah, I mean, like exactly. that ball, that, yeah. the, the, the hop and the skip and everything else in Rodgers that was just, I mean, he's dipping his shoulder trying to stay elude the rush. He was getting that ball to Mercedes <laughs> Lewis. They're able to connect on it. And as Rodgers talked about it and Lewis talked about it too, this goes beyond football for those two. You don't see a lot of the impact that Mercedes Lewis has had on this locker room. A lot of it is within those doors. Yeah. But this is a beloved player. He's an emotional, he's a verbal leader, a vocal leader. And there's a reason why Lewis plays as much as he does, the accountability that he has, and just being able to make the impact that he's had in a very short time here in Green Bay. Yeah, well, with the win, the Packers get to 9-3. and three. Yeah. They temporarily move into sole possession of first place in the NFC North. The Minnesota Vikings at 8-3. and three. They are playing Monday Night Football in Seattle. So we'll talk about the whole picture and where things stand and all the other results from Week 13 in the NFL on tomorrow's show because then this Seahawks-Vikings game will be in the bank and we'll, we'll really have a sense of where everything is. So we'll delay that discussion for tomorrow. But before we go today, we definitely do need to talk about Packers kicker Mason Crosby and the game that he had finding out on Friday morning, I believe yeah, it was, right that his sister-in-law, Brittany, his brother Reese's wife, passed away after a battle with ovarian cancer. And um, you wrote a story on this, uh, a great story on our website a while back, Wes, as um, the Crosbys were going through this. And Mason Crosby's wife, Molly, also had a medical situation yeah. um, this past summer as well. Um, this, is th- this, has been, this has been some year in the Crosby family. And uh, uh, boy, for, for Mason to go out and do what he did on Sunday afternoon, making, uh, making all of his kicks, including a big 47-yarder yeah. when actually the snow was at its worst at that point, and he drills that 47-yard field goal when, uh, to give the Packers three points there in the first half. Just a, uh, just a tremendous effort by a veteran kicker the franchise's all-time leading scorer and one of the most uh, respected and beloved players in that locker room. Yeah, uh, first off, I mean, you got to tip your cap to Mason. Uh, so they find out about this on Friday morning. Him and Molly and his family, they, they fly down to, to um, Austin, Texas, get to Georgetown where – you know, Reese and, and they're all from uh, where Brittany was. was. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's Mason Crosby's hometown. Yeah. For those who don't know, Georgetown, Texas. So he goes down there. He spends the day with them. He flies in on Saturday uh, to New York. Does his whole pregame preparation, and then, um, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, you look at it for him to step up the way he has, and he's done it before. But, you know, he said he's having a career year in spite of everything that happened with Molly during training camp. He's in a battle with Sam Ficken for the kicking job. She undergoes surgery at the end of August. When she has the surgery, Reese and Brittany come up to spend the week with her while Mason's getting ready for the first, you know, game of the year. And finding out if he still has his job with the Packers. Yeah, and and for him to do what he's done – I think it speaks volumes about Mason. I think it speaks volumes about their family. And 
you know, if you were introduced to Britney's story at all, and it doesn't matter if you read my story, if you read Matt Snydman's, uh, Rob Domofsky's, Tom Silverstein, a number of people have covered this topic. You are being welcomed into the world of a truly amazing person. And I wrote that story back in um, late 2017. And I knew Reese a little bit. And I knew of Britney's story because Britney, she wasn't able to be there when Mason made those big kicks at AT AT&T Stadium. Right. And she was nine days out from her first surgery after being diagnosed at 27 years old with ovarian cancer. And It's tough. It's yeah. uh, it's one of these deals where she was so strong through this entire thing. And if you followed her on Instagram, if you followed her on Facebook, her mentality throughout all of this and the positivity that she put out there, I can only hope if I ever encounter something like this, I can be as strong as she was. Because there are people that win the lottery in this life. Yeah. And there are people that get stricken with something like she was stricken with, and it is not fair. But she came back. She was there later that year. Mason makes the two biggest kicks of his life. He's wearing that teal wristband for her. She makes it. She climbs those stairs at AT AT&T Stadium to watch him play eight, nine months later, whatever that was. Right. And I asked Mason for permission to write that story on her, on their battle. And I talked to Reese about it. And the thing that if you watch Britney's videos, if you watch her speak, she is so eloquent. She is an amazing just aura about her, energy about her. She wasn't always comfortable with that, though. She wasn't always for sure that she wanted to do it, but she felt compelled to because if early detection is so critical with cancer, especially something like she was dealing with. There was no scans that were going to tell her that. She had to listen to her body, and if she would have caught it sooner from stage 3, C, 4, you know, she might have had a better shot with this thing. But she wanted to get that message out to people. It doesn't yeah. matter, male, female, what, to, to stay up on that stuff. And getting to know her and getting to know Reese over the last two years, it has been an incredible journey. I cannot say enough about either of them and what they've been through and the impact that they've made on people. And for Mason to be able to compartmentalize everything that he's dealt with, with Molly, with with Brittany, with everything they've dealt with as a family, the jet lag that comes with that moment and being able to keep your emotions out of it in that moment, yeah, it says a tremendous amount about his character. And I just got to say, I mean, I love you, Reese. Your family loves you. The impact that Brittany had is going to go so much further than what her 30 years on this earth is going to be able to encapsulate. So yeah. I... Uh, that, that story, I tweeted this last week, that story changed me. It changed the way I look at life, uh, the way you see your everyday life um, in the positivity. She attacked that thing. They went on vacations. I remember the week after my story ran, and between the time in which I talked to them and when the story ran back in 17, she was in remission, then she's out of remission. They still went to Disney World because they had a, plan, <laughs> a trip planned for Disney World in December of 17. The, the adventures that her and Reese went on, it was inspiring. And I apologize for rambling. I apologize for going on and on about this, but no, that's quite it, all right. It is a, uh, it is an emotional roller coaster for someone that is just an onlooker, 
for Mason and everything their family deal with, I my heart goes out to them, my thoughts and prayers go out to them, and I just hope for the very best because at the end of this, when it's all said and done, we only have the time we got, Mike. Yep. You know? And I really hope if if anyone's been touched by her story and read about it, heard about it, I don't want just to, to make sure you appreciate it because it doesn't last forever. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. You can like us, subscribe to, to us on iTunes and other podcast services, and be sure to check out the new Packers YouTube channel, all kinds of content out there for you. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thank you.